Hey, welcome to Creekside, everybody. We're excited to be here today just to praise our Savior. Um, everybody come in and find a seat and get ready to worship with us today. I just want to remind us what we read in the Christmas story. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Glory to God in the highest in Latin is in excelsis Deo, which is what we're about to sing. So if you'd stand and sing with us, let's uh, remember some of that joy and, and praise as we sing today. say is amen. Uh, and I know I've said it before, but uh, if this time of worship didn't kind of light a fire in you, you you've got wet wood. Uh, you need to, you need to re-examine this. Uh, thank you, praise team and worship team for leading us in worship. A couple of announcements that I want to call to your attention. First of all, welcome. Glad that you're worshiping with us either here in person or online. Uh, we're just grateful for your presence and thankful that you're with us today. Uh, I want to let you know that there are a lot of things going on here in the church, so I've uh, got to kind of make more announcements than I'd like to. We're, we're having a collection for the, the homeless in the Des Moines area, uh, so Rhonda Cooker is uh, coordinating that, and so if you go out in the entryway, you'll see some uh, tubs. Uh, you can collect stuff. All the details are in the bulletin, so I'm not going to go through all the stuff that you can bring. Uh, just don't bring junk. Uh, you know, you can bring used stuff if it's clean, and that's fine, but uh, just don't bring your garbage. Uh, take that to the garbage. Uh, thank you for that. And uh, so it's an exciting time. Also, we got a lot of stuff going on. The Christmas program rehearsal is today after the service. So all the people who are involved in the Christmas program, there's going to be a light lunch that's served immediately after the service. Then you come back in here and uh, get after it for the rehearsal. The Christmas program is next week during the 1030 service. So we'll have our Christmas program. There are invitations that are floating around. I don't know if Debbie has any more left, but uh, you can use your word of mouth and invite people to come at the 1030 service for the Christmas program. It'll be a very uh, Christ-centered and very worshipful experience. Lots of Christmas songs, lots of music, lots of um, scripture and a gospel presentation. Our Christmas program or service schedule is on the, on the screen in front of you. And so we have a Christmas Eve service, a candlelight service at 5 p.m. on Christmas Eve. And then the next morning at 9 a.m. Uh, in here we'll have a Christmas communion service, which will be uh, some opening with uh, uh, someone sharing the word a little bit, and then more of, a, more of some spontaneity that goes on uh, in that service. So it'll be, both of them, very interesting. We have a, a college care ministry that I just wanted to highlight. Um, Heather Durr is kind of coordinating that. And if you're interested in helping support some of our college students by praying for them, care packages, uh, that kind of thing, uh, please contact Heather. And uh, if you don't know her information, uh, you can contact the office and Sonia can get it to you, okay? And then the last thing I want to call to your attention is Generation Jesus and Sunday School Kids, uh, you are dismissed, okay? So all of you involved in Generation, if you haven't already left, so I think some of them already left. But if you're in Generation Jesus or Sunday School, you can leave at this time, all right? I'm going to pray. I need to pray. Father, thanks for your love for us. And I uh, thank you for the, the beautiful opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. And I pray that we would truly 
uh, commit in our hearts to give you our all and to give you all of who we are and that we would seek to serve you because of what you've done for us. And I ask now uh, with the psalmist that you'd open our eyes that we might behold wonderful truths from your law, truths that become precious to us, truths that you use by your Spirit's power working in us to transform us into the image of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, our oldest daughter, our middle child, uh, she runs her own business called Threadit Apparel Architect in Ames. And as part of her business, she works with individuals in helping people discover uh, what colors of fabric, what colors of accessories, what kinds of accessories uh, best match them and their clothing style, which is best for them, okay? Uh, what to put on, how to make you look as good as you can look, uh, and to be uh, stylish but reasonable priced and that kind of stuff. That's what she does, okay? She loves doing that, and that's, that's, her, that's her niche. And uh, I say that because the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32, has, uh, has language in it that is like clothing language, okay? It's about what you put on and what you put off uh, to help believers know how we should walk, not what we should wear, okay? So when we're talking about putting it on and putting it off, uh, it's, it's about how we should live our lives and how we should do that and, and walk worthy of the Lord. So being in Christ doesn't, doesn't just mean like realigning our behavior. So when we go through the text this morning, it's not just about, okay, it's only our behavioral modification that we're interested in. It's behavioral modification that comes as a result of a new creation within us. And so it's who we are that is to determine what we do and how we live. We're talking about complete transformation of our nature. We're new creatures in Christ, so we should live like it. Okay? Live like who we are. Put on the new self as who we are in Jesus. So if you have your Bibles this morning, or if you have a phone, a device, or whatever you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at uh, Paul's employment of two tactics to inspire us theologically and to inform us practically uh, what it means to walk in a manner worthy of, of who we are in Jesus, of our identity. I'm going to read down through the text beginning with verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm reading from the New American Standard, so if uh, that's something that you're close to. If you have the ESV or NIV, it won't be too different from that, all right? If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you somewhere. There should be one not too far away. This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in, your spirit, in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another, and be angry, and yet do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give 
the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Wow, that's a rich passage with lots of truth in it, but I want to try to unpack it. And so the first tactic that I see Paul employing in this passage to help us know what it is to put off the old and put on the new, what it is to walk worthy, is he, we're given a compelling exhortation that we are to live like who we are in Christ. And in verse 17, he starts with therefore. And the therefore, again, you know, when we see the word therefore, what do we ask? We ask what it's there for. And therefore points us back to what came before it, our discussion of the, the unity of the body within, and, and the diversity within that unity that promotes maturity in the body of Christ. And all of that, now that previous discussion, is, is the freight that he uses to carry us forward into the next discussion of what it practically means to live that out of who we are in Jesus. So his word, he says, Paul, I affirm together with the Lord. It's kind of like this. When Now, some of you are young people, but when you were young, maybe you know, your, your brother or your sister, if you are fortunate to have one, came to you, or in the case of it might be that you wish they weren't your brother or sister at the time they came to you, but they said, uh, you're supposed to go and do the dishes, or you're supposed to go and clean your room. And then they said, Dad said so. Well, if they hadn't said dad said so, uh, chances are, or mom said so, chances are that, you know, that would have been just like water off a duck's back. You know, it's no big deal. But when dad says so, then it carries authority. That's what Paul's doing here, in a sense. He's saying, I'm not just making this up. This is, I'm affirming together with the Lord. I'm saying this with, with God. And the exhortation comes in two forms. Okay. So there's a negative prohibition that he gives against walking in corruption, okay? So he starts out and he says, this I say therefore and affirm together with the Lord that you, who's the you? Believers, okay? That you believers, first believers, walk. And again, you know, we kind of read through the Bible sometimes and we just assume that we understand what it means. What does it mean to walk? It means how we conduct ourselves. It's how we live our life. So, you believers, here's how you walk, no longer, that's the negative prohibition, as the Gentiles. And the Gentiles here means those who are religiously pagan. It could be those who are ethnically non-Jews, and it probably refers to that too, but the primary focus here is those who are pagans, those who are not, not religious people, they're ungodly. So, uh, believers are to abandon to you, you are to abandon, you believers are to abandon your previous way of life that consists of a, of a separate or several characteristics. And then he lists those characteristics of what it means to be a Gentile that those who are Christians are not supposed to live like, okay? And so, first of all, he, we're not supposed to be intellectually empty. Now, that's my phrase, y'all. Futility, the futility of their mind. He talks about the, you know, they're, they're, being, they're in the futility of mind. They also walk... They live in the futility of their mind. 
Well, what does that mean? Well, it means futility means empty, pointless, non-productive. So ungodly people, the spiritual, uh, the spiritual mind and subsequent actions of unbelievers is empty. It's ultimately empty. Now, it may seem to be fulfilling at the time, but it's ultimately empty. And it, it doesn't produce what they wanted to. It's unproductive. I like the way John MacArthur describes it. He says, the life of an unbeliever is bound up in thinking and eating in an arena of ultimate trivia. Eating and drinking in an arena of ultimate trivia. In other words, they're spending their time doing things that in the long run, in eternity, don't mount to much. Okay? The unregenerate live in an ongoing condition of, secondly, moral ignorance. The text describes it as being darkened in their mind, verse 18, darkened in their understanding, okay, which suggests spiritual darkness that includes ignorance and immorality. I mean, that, what, that's what leads people. Ignorance of spiritual truth and immorality leads people to, to, be, to ex- accept the things they, they are natural man. They're not able to accept the things of the Spirit of God. If you are darkened in your mind about spiritual things, you cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. They, they do not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're spiritually blinded, and so they are excluded from the life of God. That's what the text says. They're excluded from the life of God. And why are they excluded from the life of God? Well, read the text. It says, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the, they're spiritually ignorant. Um, they're spiritually unable to see. Before my mom had her cataract surgery, she couldn't see everything. My dad, we'd be drive, they'd be driving along, and my dad said, well, you see those deer over there? You see those wild turkeys out in the field? And she'd go, uh, no, I don't see them. She couldn't see what she couldn't see. And before a person comes to faith in Christ, before the, the Spirit of God regenerates their heart, they can't see what they can't see. They can't know what they don't know. And so they're spiritually, they're ignorant of spiritual truth. Those in spiritual darkness are also excluded from the life of God because their hearts are hardened. And this is like the, the word hardened is impenetrable. The truth of God's word is not able to penetrate like a rock, a solid rock. They can't, they can't pen, it can't penetrate those hearts who are hardened. And so when men reject Christ, when men are hardened and spiritually blind and they reject Christ, he justly rejects their spiritual perception, or he limits, he restricts their spiritual perception, so they're only confirmed in their spiritual ignorance. Understand that? So when, when people reject Christ, God then justly restricts their spiritual understanding to the point that it confirms them in their rejection of Christ. Thirdly, they're spiritually calloused, uh, calloused to the truth. Um, you ever shake hands, uh, oh, maybe this is not a, you ever shake hands with somebody who's, uh, who works with their hands all the time? Uh, if, if, you're a, if you're a pencil pusher, they used to call us, you know, pencil pushers, people that don't actually work with their hands. If you're a pencil pusher and then you, you shake hands with somebody, you're just like, whoa, man, uh, that's kind of rough. That's kind of calloused. Yeah, and they'll grab stuff, you know, and, and they're not worried about getting scratched or splinters or stuff because their hands are just calloused. And uh, that's the, the, hard, the heart that's hardened is calloused to, to the truth. It's not able to see it. Um, and so they're insensitive. Calloused means they're insensitive to the unrighteousness in their own hearts and the unrighteousness in the hearts of others. 
I don't know about you, but recently I've been, I, I scratched my head in, in, in just disbelief. And when I read about parents who uh, have taken their, their children to a drag queen show. You know, they have these, uh, you know, drag queen story hours at libraries and they have these drag queen shows. And you, you got parents that are, I'm going, what is that? Well, they're calloused. They're, they're insensitive to unrighteousness in their own hearts and that in the, in the hearts of others. And this is a perfect description of them. And finally, uh, Paul describes the ungodly that, that they engage in unbridled perversion. It says they, they give themselves over in verse uh, 19 and given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Uh, this is, uh, you know, just in its blunt state, it's unrestrained self-indulgence and usually has something to do of a sexual nature. It's, it's the idea behind pornography, adultery, uh, homosexuality, pedophilia, all that kind of stuff. They give themselves over to it. And so this is the life of the Gentiles, the ungodly, that that's their, such people despise. They defy authority. And they eagerly engage in the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Now, some of your translations might say they're greedy in their impurity. So greedy is a, is a lust for, a, a demand for it. And so they, they demand impurity. So they, they lust or they're greedy for, for impurity. They also may be people who profit from the greediness of their impurity. I don't know if you've uh, read this, um, you know, they, their practice of of their immoral indecency. Uh, Balenciaga is a, a big name. I, I don't know who they are, but if you know anything about fashion, you know that Balenciaga is a big fashion house. And they've had advertisements in promoting uh, some sort of perversion with, with young children. And so what this proves to me is that there's a market so there, there are people who are lusting after this perversion, and then there are people who are ready to take advantage of those who are lusting after it and make money off it and profit from it. This is the kind of perversion that we see in our culture, and we scratch our heads and go, what is going on? It's because they are hardened in their hearts, and they're spiritually blind in their minds. And so we, we should be um, upset and, and rightly angry about it, but realize that they are acting like fallen people that they are. And so this is the, this is the frustration. And so that's the negative aspect of it. The, the spiritual blindness of the lost moves them to do conduct that, I mean, I used to say, pagans act like pagans. Unbelievers act like unbelievers. But believers shouldn't act like unbelievers. That's what Paul's trying to say. We shouldn't act like that. And so the positive expectation is to walk as Christians, okay? And there's two angles in verses 20 and 20 through 24 that he approaches from this, uh, that we should walk as, as those who are worthy, and it's stressed in this way. First of all, negatively. If you look at verse 20, he starts it with, but, so that's the contrast, you did not learn Christ in this way. You're not supposed to be like a pagan. That's not how you learned it. You he negatively talks about what it does not mean, but introduces the contrast. You believers did not learn Christ in that way. You didn't learn Christ and that following Christ, that being a believer in Christ was that you're supposed to be some self-indulgent, uh, perverse person that uh, doesn't care about things, hardened to spiritual truth. That's not how you learned who Jesus is. Verse 21, he says, If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in 
the truth taught in him just as the truth is in Jesus. Take your Bibles or, or turn there if you can to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. What did they learn about Jesus? How had they heard about Jesus? What did they learn about Jesus? Verse 13, in him, that is in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. That's the truth that they had heard was the gospel of their salvation. Chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17 says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. What they had learned is that Christ came to deliver them from the consequence of their sin. We're all sinful sinners headed for an eternity apart from God, and God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pay for our sins. That's the good news. And so if he paid for our sins, how are we to keep sinning? If he redeemed us and forgave us and preached peace so that we would be reconciled to God, that's Romans chapter 5, verse 1, says, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We're no longer his enemy, we're his friend. And if we're no longer his enemy, we're his friend, then we shouldn't act like enemies in the way we conduct ourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, 21 says, um, He, that is God, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, Christ didn't actually become sin. He became sin in the sense that our sin was placed upon him so that he was punished in our place. And Paul says in another place in Romans chapter 6, he says that our old self has been crucified. So that sinful nature, when Christ, the good news that they had heard and that they had learned about Jesus in truth, is that you are redeemed from that old way of life. You're a new creation in Christ. That's not who you are. And so if that's not who you are, that's not how you should live. That's not the way you should conduct yourself. Your old self is crucified. We're no longer slaves of sin. So right standing with God should lead to right conduct. Makes sense. Now, but here's the deal. The right conduct is something that we don't perfectly, yet we do consistently and increasingly, it should reflect Christ. So and when we come to Christ, we're not automatically just all, you know, wonderful, glorious representatives of Jesus. We're not perfect representations of Jesus. But if we're in Christ, we really have that new creation within us. We're new creatures. Then we should increasingly and, and consistently, more consistently reflect who Jesus is. So that should be a kind of a relief to us, okay? We're not expected to be uh, the, the, the most holy, holy rollers, you know, right from the, right from the get-go. We have an opportunity to grow up in Jesus. We have a chance and we're, we're being conformed into the image of Christ. That's what's exciting and encouraging to me. We're, we're supposed to act like who we are. I don't know if you heard about this, but there was, a, uh, uh, there was an election and there was a person from a particular political party and this particular political party had other uh, members of that political party who had formed a, a political action committee to raise money so that the person from their own, own political party couldn't get elected. Like, you know, it's like, that doesn't make sense. I mean, it does make sense when you tease it all out, but it's, they were acting inconsistent with who they're supposed to be. And that's the way Paul is saying to us as believers. He's saying that to the Ephesian believers. He's saying, you should act like who you are. That's who we, that we, that's who we should be. So that's the negative aspect of it. Uh, positively, what, what our new life in Christ does mean. 
what our new life in Christ doesn't mean, but what our new life in Christ does mean. Believer's conduct as it relates to our former manner of life, okay, is summarized in three steps. So how are we supposed to live? He starts talking about it in beginning with verse 22. That in reference to your former manner of life, okay, and you think, because really all of us were Gentile or Gentiles, we were living like Gentiles, we we're pagans. At some point, at some level, we were just uh, blinded in our minds, excluded from the life of God, pursuing, you know, greedily pursuing our own lusts and desires. But now he says, no, you're supposed to put off the old man. He says, put off the old man. That's what we're supposed to do in verse 22. Uh, he, he starts talking about um, that that's, that's the essence of what it means for us is to put off the old self. What's the old self? It's our old nature before, before we came to Christ and with its unbridled self-indulgence. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he says, uh, the 12, chapter 12, verse 1, he says that there's so, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, therefore lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us and run with endurance. Set it aside. Put it off. That's the change of clothes, okay? Boom. You know, when I used to work for Bob Martin south of Newell, uh, I'd come home every night. I had to change my clothes because I was working in hog barns and out in the cattle, barn, cattle yard, and I had to change my clothes. I had to put that stuff off because it stunk. It reeked, and that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to put off all of that garbage within us, okay? And the new man, with the, he says, with the lust of deceit, Lusts that deceive. The promise that doesn't provide the true satisfaction. And so as we look at life, even ourselves, we're prone to chase after things that don't really satisfy. And he says, put that off. They don't provide true satisfaction. And they draw even the elect away from, it says, from the sincerity and purity of devotion to Christ. Things that deceive. Well, hey, I think if I, if I just, you know, it's Christmas time, right? Man, if I just had, and then you fill in the blank, my life would be, I'd be good. You know, I'd really be satisfied. I'd really be good. But you know what? You get it, and then you go, hmm, uh, not so much. Didn't really help. Uh, maybe there's something else out there. And that's the lust of deceit. It draws us away. And so it, he, he says, now lay aside. It pictures a conscious, spirit-empowered choice, right? To cast aside attitudes and actions that are corrupt. Interestingly enough, Paul's talking to the, the church at Ephesus. In Acts chapter 19, these people, when they came to personal faith in Jesus Christ, you know what they did? They were convicted. It says in Acts chapter 19, verses 18 through 20, you can uh, look it up later, that, that they disclosed their occult practices. They had been involved in the occult. And they brought their books, and they burned them. Big bonfire, you know. They burned their books. What were they doing? putting off the old that's that's who we were that's not who we are now and so my challenge for us for me is maybe there's some associations that uh, that I have to put off maybe there are places that I cannot go or should not go maybe there are people that I should not necessarily associate with in in the same way that I did before maybe there are pursuits that I have hobbies or uh, interests that I have that just aren't healthy for me to engage in or indulge in Maybe there are passions that, that feed the old man that need to be starved, need to be cut off. And so you can think about that. 
Maybe it's something you watch. Maybe it's something you listen to. Maybe it's something that I, uh, I've always done all my life, but I never thought about it. I remember chasing around uh, places trying to find uh, the latest uh, um, uh, model, model toy tractor. And then I realized some, one day I was thinking, why am I doing this? I mean, I don't play with them, you know. So I don't think I really need them. And maybe it's taking time, energy, effort, and money that I really don't need to direct in that way. And so we need to put that off, okay? So you, you put that off. And then he talks about not, not only do you lay aside the, these things, and we say no to those places, because then he says you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's verse 23. So you put off the old, and then you renew your mind. That's Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we renew our mind with what? With God's truth. The truth of the Word of God. And so this, this transformation into Christ-likeness requires a renewing uh, of our mind that involves knowing the truth of God's Word and then doing the truth of God's Word. That's the sad part. We can sit in church all our life and know what we're supposed to do and not do it. We got to get, uh, you know, it's like we sing that song, you know, uh, standing on the promises, and most of us are sitting on the premises. We, we, we're not, we're not, not, not really doing anything. You know, we're not getting in the game and, and living out what God has called us to do. And it's not, you know, it's not easy, you know. It's, it's hard to step out of our comfort zone and our faith. We kind of feel comfortable. Yeah, I know that I'm supposed to serve other people, but you really want me to, to take time and effort and energy and go visit somebody? You really want me to spend time making something and taking it over to them? You really want me to come in and, 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 and handle, you know, 50 crazy, loud obnoxious young people while they're running around this Awana circle and it's like I have to plug my ears you know and I'm I'm hard of hearing and so it's it's one it's just yeah that's what it's like and then finally he says because belief we renew in our mind why because our beliefs determine our behavior I heard someone say once you don't really believe anything that doesn't motivate you to action If I believe it, I'm going to do something with it. And so you put off the old, you renew your mind, and then he says, and you, you put on the new self, verse 24. Uh, it, it's the opposite of laying aside. You, you put on the new self, created in the likeness of God, which is in righteousness and holiness. That's what we're supposed to do. Some of you don't uh, follow football, and that's okay. I can appreciate that. I'm not, I don't follow professional football very much, but I know that Brock Purdy was a former uh, quarterback at Iowa State University. He was, uh, by virtue of somebody getting hurt, he was made the starting quarterback of, of his professional football team. And, and, and he came into the game, and he performed. He actually lived up to his identity as a starting quarterback. He did what he was supposed to do, and that's what Paul is pleading with the church in Ephesus and with us is to live like who we are to perform like we're supposed to perform in Romans chapter 13 verse 14 I think do we have this one or not that's fine I'm going to go yeah there it is but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust as new creatures in Christ uh, believers are to increasingly and more consistently 
reflect the likeness of God in our conduct. Now, I want you to hear me. I don't know how I can communicate this. It's not just about behavior modification. It's, it's our identity. It's who I am in Jesus. And who I am in Jesus is, is to be reflected in how I live. And so for you, all of us, this is who I am. I'm going to live like who I am. Now, it takes conscious choice and the Spirit's power working with us, and then we're transformed. Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 10 uh, says, and, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created. Notice, and is renewed. So it's not like, okay, instantaneous, I, I put my faith in Jesus and now I'm, boom, I'm good. No, I'm being renewed, I'm being renewed. We're in process, we're all in process until we meet the Lord. And so from the theological foundation, Paul moves now to the practical application. Don't be like a Gentile. Here's how you're supposed to be. And so we're given this concrete example of walking worthy. And here we see the word again, therefore. Verse 25, therefore, and introduces these two strategies uh, that reveal practically what it means to walk worthy. Uh, the text unfolds kind of like, it's kind of a complicated deal, but uh, I, I broke it down this way. There's two strategies. First of all, there's contrasting phrases, okay, in, in these verses, in verses 25 uh, uh, through, I think, 29, that list of vice we're supposed to put off, and then right after it, a virtue we're supposed to put on. So there's a vice we're supposed to get rid of, and then there's a virtue that we're supposed to dress ourselves with. Okay. So first of all, lay aside falsehood and speak truth. So the vice is falsehood, and the virtue is to speak truth. You see, the practice of falsehood offends God. I mean, it's been one of the lists of the abominations of God. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 17, and verse 19, God hates it. And I didn't, in my study, I was like, I didn't know this was in the Bible. But, in, I mean, I'd read it before. It just didn't stick to me on falsehood. Do you know that in Revelation chapter 20, on verse 8, those who lie do not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, I mean, it makes sense, right? One of the Ten Commandments, you shall not bear false witness. So it's one of the top moral commands in the Old Testament carried into the New Testament. But you do not lie. If you lie, you'll not inherit the kingdom of God. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. Well, actually, it says there you're going to go to hell. So I think that's probably a good, you know, the antithesis of that, or the compliment thought of that is that you're not going to heaven. So it's pretty serious stuff. Now, what does lying include? And, you know, that'd be the thing. Well, what does it mean to lie? And I, don't you like the way our culture is? Well, it, didn't, it, was, it was a misrepresentation of the truth. It was a, and, you know, no, it was a lie. A lie can be a blatant out and out lie. Now, so I may get in trouble for saying this, but, you know, back when the, the pandemic was, was just starting, the COVID-19 pandemic, we were told by our government officials and the CDC and the NIH and all these people, that if we got the COVID shot, that we would not get COVID and we would not transmit COVID. Now we find out that they knew that that wasn't true. You know, that, that factually, they just, you know, they just didn't tell us the whole story, okay? So that's a misrepresentation. But it's also lying when, when I don't actually um, tell the IRS how much I actually made. 
Uh, it's also lying when I pad my timesheet at, at work, you know, and, and say that I, I worked longer than I did. Or when we withhold information, you know, we kind of only don't tell them all the truth, we just kind of tell them some of the truth, enough to appease them. When we, sometimes we can lie to people when, when we're in church. How you doing? Oh, fine. Lie. And with a smile, even. Well, I'm doing great. No, you're not. You know? And, and we, it's kind of comical, but it's really not. It's sad. Now, some people, you know, you just don't really want to get into it. You just say, well, yeah, it, it's kind of, things are not going the greatest, okay? But, hey, let's, and we're, we're not supposed to lie. And then we're supposed to be, speak the truth one with another. So put off, put on, speak the truth. And here he quotes Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16. And what we see is, he says, there, there, these are the things which you shall do. Speak the truth one to another. That's what Paul's quoting here. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16, which proves to me that in the Old Testament, the New Testament, for all testaments, for all time, we're supposed to speak the truth. Speak the truth to one, one to another. Confirms that then and now God expects honesty among his people. Now, we're supposed to be honest with everybody, right? But he says particularly to one another because we're members one of another. We just went through that. That's Ephesians chapter 2, chapter 1, verses 22, 23, chapter, all of chapter 2, all of chapter 3, all of chapter 4, up to this point, we're about, we're the one body. We're together. You don't lie to yourself. Now, some of us do. Well, I really don't need surgery. I really can see okay. You know, no, nothing wrong with my hearing. Huh? You know, we, we lie to ourselves, and we, we, we shouldn't, we're, we're not supposed to lie to one another. It's, it's serious business. We, we're to speak the truth to all people, but, but especially to each other. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, uh, the Apostle Paul says this, Do not lie to one another, since you, you, you stripped off the old self with its evil practices. That's not who. We're not liars. We're truth tellers in Christ. And so then, secondly, he says, uh, the antithesis thing, be angry, which is really kind of weird. Okay, there's a command in the Bible, be angry. You are commanded to be angry. But there's qualifications, okay? Qualifications for this being angry. And do not, okay? So be angry reiterates Psalm 4, verse 4. There's a command to be angry, and we should be angry as God's people. We should be angry about injustice. We should be angry about decadence and perversion. We should be angry about the things that anger the heart of God. But we know that it's righteous anger and not rebellious anger if we apply these qualifications that he, that he gives to us there. So... Righteous anger, that's hostility. It's not sinful in itself to be angry. What offends God and should offend us. So, you know, think about a story in the Bible where somebody, where somebody was angry and it was okay. Namely, Jesus. In Matthew chapter 21, when he overturned the money changers in the temple. He was angry, but he didn't sin. And so it's possible. He cleansed it. So righteous anger does not, and here are three things that righteous anger does not based upon the, the do-nots that are in the text. He says, 
you know, in, in verse uh, 25, uh, he says, Do not, therefore, lay aside falsehood. Uh, one of the other members. Then verse 26, be angry and do not, what? Sin. So anger doesn't lash out, okay? Righteous anger doesn't lash out. Do not sin. Inappropriate ang- at lashing out. It does not linger, okay? Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. So righteous anger doesn't, doesn't linger, doesn't hold on. And righteous anger doesn't leave the devil an opportunity. Because if we, if we allow anger to linger, it, produce, it produces bitterness in our heart. And that's an opportunity for the devil. Uh, and I've probably used this analogy before. Yeah, somebody's phone's ringing. That's all right. They're going to get it. <laughs> it's all good. I'm not angry. <laughs> not, even, not even righteously. I mean, it's, it's, uh, no, it's fine. I understand. These things happen. We're human beings, right? So he says that, that we, should, we, should, we should not lash out, do not sin. This anger should not linger, and it should not leave an opportunity for the devil. If we allow anger to fester within us, it, 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 it's a poison in us, okay? You see, the opportunity for the devil, for the devil to entice us to evil by dwelling on the offense and then allowing the anger to develop into bitterness and bitterness to give rise to vengeance and vengeance to give rise to hurtful words. I've probably used this analogy before, but... Um, you know, I look at this passage, it's, it's kind of like <clears throat> a vacuum cleaner salesman. And some of you are too young to know what a vacuum cleaner salesman is. Uh, because you have sharks and you bought it on Amazon, okay? But uh, the, in the old days, the, they used to come to your door and knock on your door. Or you'd go to the, the fair and you'd sign up in the Varied Industries building uh, for a free vacuum cleaner. And then all of a sudden you're getting a phone call and setting up an appointment and they come. And as soon as they get one foot in the door, guess what? You're buying a vacuum. The first two vacuum cleaners my wife and I bought were both the result of one foot in the door. Now, that may seem more about me than it does about the vacuum cleaner salesman, but they, they sold us. And so the, Satan is the ultimate vacuum cleaner salesman. He gets his foot in the door and anger develops, and guess what? Then we are going to sin. And that's not going to be righteous anger. Thirdly, he says, steal no more. Verse 28, steal no more, but work and share. Stealing violates another one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not steal. But we're to labor and share with one another. But rather introduces new life behavior. That's the old life, put it off. Now put this on, uh, to, to labor. Hard work is valued by God. In fact, 2 Thessalonians says, if you don't work, you don't eat, you know. And personal possessions are valued by God, personal property. That's why you're not supposed to steal. What do you steal? Somebody else's property. No, that's not supposed to happen. And when, 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 through our labors then, we're able to bless other people. So part of us working is to help provide for those in need. Not just to provide for our own self, but provide for, for others. That's what the text says, Okay. To provide the blessing to those other, and especially to those of the household of God. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. 
and even in this passage, it's providing others a need. And the context is in the local church. That doesn't mean that we don't provide for the homeless that aren't part of our church family, but we are especially supposed to provide for those who are in our church family. That means our missionaries, that means the people in the, in the church who are struggling financially, we help provide for them and others in the body of Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. Then he says, no unwholesome speech, but edifying words. And you know this, I've said this before, the, 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 the words, of our, words of our mouth reflect the condition of our heart. That's Matthew 12, 34 and 35. And if you, went to, if you look over in your Bibles at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, you're going to read this. Uh, and there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Rotten words, unwholesome words are rotten words. Just think of it, it's garbage. We got home last night and we came in the house and whoo, uh, something had been left in the garbage can that was, uh, that was uh, not good, it was rotten. And what did we do? Oh, that's really nice, we'll just leave it in there all night. No, I was expressly uh, requested to take it to the outside garbage can because it had a stench. Unwholesome words. We're talking about inappropriate jokes. We're talking about profanity. We're talking about filthy innuendos, gossip, slander, all that kind of stuff. We're supposed to get rid of it. And we're supposed to speak words for edification, words that build each other up. Become more Christ-like. That's what it means to build it up, to become more Christ-like. So if if I'm speaking words to you to build you up in Christ, to become more Christ-like, sometimes I'm going to confront you, right? Because you may be deviating from Christ. Sometimes we're, we're going to challenge people to employ their gifts. Okay, you sat here and listened this morning or stood and listened. So how many of you would say, oh, you guys, you, all of you people up here, I wish you had just stayed down and not done and blessed us that way. No. I'm thinking, okay, who else is out there hiding in the shadows that could be using their gifts for God's glory? Not, not, not just up here, you know. I mean, it could be leading, a, you know, helping with the, the young moms. It could be, you know, you name it. It could be a lot of different stuff. They're just hiding in the shadows. No, we got to say, hey, look, what are you doing? Get after it. For the sake of the kingdom and for the glory and for our maturity and for Jesus to be honored. So then the, we can confront people. We can challenge people. We can compliment people. You go up to say, man, I, you bless my soul. And I would say it to each and every one of you up here, you bless my soul. Pronounce the benediction, you know. Because of what, what Jesus did through you. And, then, and, and we can celebrate their progress in Christ's likeness. So that was the contrasting list. Now he moves from this contrasting list, uh, contrasting going back and forth of vices and virtues. Now it's a contrasting list of vices to put off and virtues to put on. Okay? First of all, he, uh, he talked to us about this contrasting phrases. Now he's going these these lists, okay? And there's vices uh, about who who... Those who walk in the truth should put off. This is verse 30. What should you put off? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. My summary of that is everything I just said, he just said, that's sinful, that grieves the Holy Spirit. If we live like that, we're grieving, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. It, it saddens him. All right. Now verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now in that verse, all applies to all. All bitterness, harboring resentment, all anger, all wrath, I'm sorry, that's rage, that's 
it's burning. Anger is mad. Clamor is just shouting about it. You know, you, you, you blow up. Okay? That's not acceptable. Slander, speaking evil against it. Malice is you have an intent to do harm. It's vile garbage like we got last night supposed to be taken out with the trash. You got to get rid of that stuff. Anybody ever seen the movie Ratatouille? Uh, that, that Disney movie Ratatouille? Yeah, you know, the, mo- the grossest part of that movie is the rats in the kitchen. I mean, they're cooking, I mean, they, they're cooking in the kitchen. Yeah, I know they went through the dishwasher. I don't care. They need to be out. Uh, no rats in the kitchen. No rats in our kitchen. We've got to take them out. We've got to get rid of it. All the sensuality, impurity, lying, stealing, greed, all that stuff grieves the Holy Spirit. We've got to get rid of that stuff. Then he gives us virtues. Uh, those who walk in the truth are to put on. That's verse 32. Put on kindness. That's one of my areas of biggest struggle. I'm not sometimes kind as I should be to everybody. Kindness. You read Colossians chapter 12, 3, verses 12 through 14. Put on a heart of compassion and kindness. Uh, fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, generous, kindness, and self-control. Kindness. Treating people kindly as they ought to be treated. And then tender-hearted, compassionate. Merciful, not vindictive. And then forgiving, just as God in Christ has forgiven us. That's a whole message in itself. How often should we forgive someone, Peter asked? Seventy times seven. And and Jesus told the story about the, the guy who owed a whole bunch to his owner, master. And he pled with the master, master forgave him. That guy went out and tried to beat out of some guy that owed him, you know, like a pittance. And he says, you should forgive as you have been forgiven. So, you know, if you're here this morning you don't know Jesus, uh, your way of life may temporary, temporarily gratify you, but it's ultimately vain. You're without God. It's futile. It's empty. You're chasing your tail. Now, you don't have to believe me. I pray that the Spirit of God would open your eyes because they're spiritually blind. And when God's Spirit does that, you'll know in your heart. And when He does that, just respond in faith. And acknowledge your sin and His saving grace and accept Him as your Lord and Savior. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, who we are in Christ because of what Christ has done for us should move us to want to put on our new self in cooperation with the Spirit's power, the resurrected power of Christ that lives within us. It's not a matter of I have to, it's a matter of I want to, because the love of Christ controls us. Having considered this, that one died for all, therefore all died, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And as we take bread and cup, guess what? We remind ourselves of who we are in Jesus. This is the price that he paid so that we could be redeemed, so we could be his new creation. And so we owe him everything, not as a payback, but because he is the one worthy of our praise. And so take a few moments and search your heart and confess your sin and get right with God as much as you can. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, we invite you to come as the Lord leads and and to take the bread and the cup and rejoice in our identity in Christ that we want to live out in our daily lives. Let's pray. Father, give us grace and strength to honor you in what we do and say. I thank you that you care, and I pray that you 
would work in each of us to put off the old and put on the new in practical and realistic ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.